0: If I go to Google, I'm gonna be spending about a second to organize in my brain all of these different elements. But if I go to, let's say, I'll just little plug, the award-winning customer portal at Red Hat, um, our side searches, our, our ethos is about simplicity and speed. We want you to understand what, what we're trying to give you, give you selections, and then put you into contact as quickly as possible. Welcome to Unmiss, your go-to digital marketing hub. I'm Anatoly Ulatovsky. Here with expert tips and exclusive chats to boost your online game. Let's get started.
1: Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome. We don't care, bad, good. We care only about the value that you can get and learn from this podcast. And today we are going to bring more value to the table. How to improve your UX with site search. I often see when companies can implement simple solutions that don't work. Sometimes Google can search much better uh, content on your website than your website itself. So you need to uh, simplify life of your users to bring to the table any information that people are looking for. And uh, if you can't. Believe me, competitors can do this job instead of you and take all your customers. I'm so excited to discuss a lot more with GP Sherman. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: Doing great. Looking forward to learn more to understand how it works, how to of improve course. UX. I have this issue with my projects, with my clients' projects. I know it's very important. So excited to learn more. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, about your 15 years of experience on this field, how you stand for a long time how you improve how you get results and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you
0: yeah so real short story um i started i started out understanding how humans react to information i was in the i was i was in the us army i did psychological operations which is a part of special operations then i left i left the army and then i majored in evolutionary biology so i became a scientist. So like all evolutionary biologists, we ended up in search, right? No, but it's just a, it's a very strange pathway I took. So I ended up working at an agency and I realized that I enjoyed search engine optimization, but there were parts of search that I was much more drawn to. So I got recruited to work in Los Angeles for a search engine specifically for video games. And that was the first time I got to see inside like the guts of a search engine, how it, how it works, how it looks at relevancy, how it indexes. And after a couple doing a couple of years, I moved to another e-commerce company called performance bike and bike Nash bar. And where I was loving the fact that I was a cyclist and working in search, loved it. And because I had the experience in search engine optimization and site search, I ended up, uh, at red hat in North Carolina, which is an open source software company. And we we basically sell free software. And, but the value that, that people pay for is the subscription for security, updates, support, all the things like that. So when you look about it, when you are running a subscription-based software company, service is the key. Service is the main value. So if humans can't find the information that they're looking for, either in Google or your own site search that reduces the value and that reduction of value can threaten, um, resubscriptions and, and things like that. So for the past 10 years, I've been at Red Hat, uh, working on both these, the technical search engine optimization side and the, uh, site search side, improving results. I like to look at it as I want to connect humans to the information they're looking for, no matter how they look for it. So that's me in a a one minute show.
1: Nice, nice. Um, I want to share my personal experience with uh, many site search bars, uh, including big websites. I often get irrelevant information. I often get something that I don't need at all. I see when websites don't understand my search intent uh, and I only waste my time. To search for. Um, so, and it depends on my time. Sometimes I can leave this website to forget. Sometimes I can uh, search another way to use catalog, uh, but it depends. Uh, of course, uh, if I see that value is great, I, I can do it. If I know that other websites can't provide this experience, yeah, I can spend more time to learn about that. But most people are impatient they have no time (laughs) to uh, figure out how to find any information. And uh, can you tell how to set up this search bar to share relevant information and uh, minimize the time of uh, searching for this information?
0: Yeah, so we can go into some of the technical sides real quick. And um, so there are lots of different types of site search solutions. There are like smaller ones, uh, more individual based like Swift type. These are essentially uh, applications that you can plug into uh, like a like a small to medium or even a large like WordPress or Drupal site. Um, Swift type is actually one of the cool ones where you can actually build a curated search results page. You don't have to just let the algorithm figure it all out. And sometimes it's just fine to do if you know what the customer is looking for with a particular set of keywords you can build your own search results page and save time because if you know if you know what they're looking for curate the page and give them the results quickly because sometimes the algorithm isn't as good as it should be so i'm a big fan of using all the tools at at your disposal Um, the other thing is there are other companies that use primarily programs like a solar or elastic search and then they build like a third party application around them these are companies like lucidworks coveo um, and algolia so these are some really really good companies that focus on site search uh, really good analytics they often include some machine learning occasionally some ai uh, to assist in the identification and the identification of user intent and the evaluation of the relevancy of the content given. So setting up, because you can easily set up a a site search instance from a website in about, I'd say five to 10 minutes. Given a a set of content, um, generally uh, listed by an XML file, you can plug that XML file in to a search program like solar or swift type or something else and you can start using search almost instantaneously um, so there's a lot of really good options to set this up really quickly um, the the problem i'd say one of the challenges is is that there's some research done and they show that around 20 to 25 percent of companies only 20 to 25 percent of companies look specifically e-commerce companies, look at their site search data. So they generally don't know what he- their customers are looking for. Yeah. And so if I take it back to like a um, a behavioral science perspective, if somebody is looking on your site for anything, they assume that you have what they're looking for. Like they wouldn't be looking for something on your site if they didn't think you had it. And so if they don't find the thing that they're looking for on your site, whether you have it or you don't, that's a missed opportunity. And that's one of the biggest things I try to communicate is that people are, want to use your site search because they know that your universe is a lot smaller than Google's. Google tries to figure out everything. Yeah. You only have to figure out your universe. And so with a smaller set of information, they assume that you know what they're looking for, and if they can't find it, well, Google's a half a second away, right up in the browser, and they will happily leave you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it, got it. And, uh, you know, uh, I remember a great example from Google, uh, when people are looking for keywords, like uh, "mango" is uh, warming up, something like this, you know, uh, and uh, Google can understand, that when companies can transfer Mango in containers, uh, it uh, can warm and uh, yeah, uh, uh, and Google can understand that. But uh, and when users use different keyword uh, combinations, they can write something irrelevant to your content, but uh, they need relevant information. So, uh, how to figure out uh, okay, if uh, people can write whatever they want in their keywords but uh, you need to bring relevant
0: information how you can help with that okay that's that's so first of all there are a lot of ways to do this but i think i think i I really enjoy trying to give really tactical information that people can just go and then use today so the first thing i'm going to say is uh when it comes to site search your meta keywords field is important. Google doesn't care about your meta keywords. Bing doesn't care about you. Nobody cares about meta keywords unless it's your site search. Mm-hmm. So with all that, all so many people are like, oh, if Google doesn't care, I'm not going to do it. What you've done is you have weakened your ability to deliver site search, good site search results, and that's not okay. So please, kindly, add relevant keywords in your meta keywords data because your site search engine by default reads them. Mm -hmm. That's my first bit of of advice. The second bit of advice is we we also need to understand from technical consideration, site search is not Google. Google, as we all know, it sends out bots to to gobble up traffic, to to understand uh, URLs index them to cache them and to to do the relevancy tuning and ranking on the google side Uh, solar for example is not google the way solar ingests uh content is through an xml feed so your index is created in solar or most search site search engines is created through an xml feed that has things like url or uri uh, title, body content, and other critical factors of the content. And I can only rank or do relevancy on the things that are in the XML file. So for example, if I don't have the keywords, the keywords metadata as a part of my XML feed, it's not going to look at the keyword, the keywords XML if it doesn't have the description as part of the XML, if it doesn't have relational markup like schema, it's not gonna be able to see it. So this is much more of a technical task. If you have structured markup, if you have schema, if you have metadata, look at what you're delivering to your search engine via the XML feed. So while Google goes out and collects information, from from a site search perspective through the XML, you feed, you kind of dynamically feed the search engine through the XML. And obviously there are some issues where like, try to have an XML feed that is dynamically updated. Since as, as as you would work on your sitemap, your XML sitemap to be updated as you add content, make sure that that XML feed that gets ingested by the search engine also be updated with the content that you have. So that's two real ways for you to start understanding, um, how site search works from a technical perspective and also from a metadata perspective. And ultimately, um, and we have yet to even touch, how do we understand user intent? So by doing these two things, you're gonna, you're gonna get better results. Of course, assuming that your content is up to the task. Mm-hmm. Put if you have garbage content, you're going to get garbage results. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And
1: uh, if you have garbage content, it's better to pay attention to improve to update this content than yeah. try to. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, have, you
0: have bigger problems than just site search, yeah, so
1: <laughs> yeah. And um, I want to discuss uh, uh, the page with results mm-hmm. in most um, common ways. I usually get like uh, I found these URLs, these pages, uh, choose the best option for you. Mm-hmm. It's the same on Google. Yeah, we see these 10 blue links, but Google uh, started to provide feature snippets, something like this, mm-hmm. uh, other blogs that can help to simplify experience. If you don't need to open content, you can find information. And um, I uh, I learned from one study that these 10 blue links can be obsolete today. Let me explain why. Uh, because, um, for example, uh, when ChatGPT appealed, uh, many uh, users switch attention from search engines to ChatGPT, uh, including me. Uh, I can't say that 100% I use ChatGPT, but I use a lot. And I ask questions to get fast results than in Google. Uh, because on, on Google, I need to search. In 10 blue links, then when I open content, I need to find information that I need. For example, when I decided to buy Tesla in Florida, what I did? I searched on Google. uh, Can I use autopilot self-drivers feature in Florida? And I couldn't find the answer to simple question on Google. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I uh, opened uh, BART, today's Gemini, uh, and I found this answer for a few seconds uh i asked totally the same question because bart replied to my question on google i found a lot of information about tesla about electric cars why we need to save the world yeah we need we need to save the world but i, I was looking for something else and um, uh, amazon for example started to update um, uh, their uh uh if i remember correctly like uh reviews people usually read like uh not more than three reviews of products, uh, product reviews. And uh, what Amazon started to do, to use AI to write a summary of all these reviews. For example, Mm -hmm. a product has uh, plus thousand reviews. Nobody will read even a teeny percent of these reviews. Uh Ninety percent usually read uh, not more than ten reviews, but a mm-hmm. thousand reviews. And Amazon started to simplify experience to provide this uh, review summary. Um, and, uh, for example, I, I get great experience today with uh, chatbots because mm-hmm. they uh, bring me what I'm looking for, not ten uh, links or something else. Um, can you tell... Uh, uh, or compare, for example, search bar and chatbots because it's popular, many websites set up to the chatbots uh, and how to find the balance. If, uh, for example, sometimes we need to use chatbots, sometimes we need to use uh, search bar and uh, even more about uh, this uh, result pages. Do we need to bring just one content or uh, 10 content or three content? I don't know. Uh, so any tips about that?
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm going to be talking... I'm going to answer that question for the next eight hours. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a fantastic question. I think you really hit the heart of some of the problems that, that Google is having. Um, so let me bring this back to a conversation about predators and prey, because mm-hmm. in my heart, I am a, I'm an evolutionary biologist. And so I, I like, I tend to use metaphors. Um, when, when there is too many, when there are two, when there's one predator and lots of prey, like there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a behavior pattern that that's, it's it's a, it's a hesitation where the predator is almost overwhelmed by the amount of prey in that area. So there's a level of hesitation and they eventually do try to pick something, but you know, whether or not they, they get it, whether or not that's always a question. So I'm going to refer this back to, a study that was done in the 1920s about menus. Uh, there was a behavioral science uh, research project done about the, the length of menus. And what they found was that the longer the menu was in a restaurant, the longer it took people to make a decision. And what the, and resulting to time is that like people stayed in the seats longer, they made less money because people were spending more, a lot of their time actually trying to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So, for those of you who are not in the United States, there's, there's a restaurant called The Cheesecake Factory. Their menu is like 30 pages long. And then there are other restaurants that have like a single page. And so this research project found that people, when confronted with a lot of choices or a lot of options, tend to take longer to make a decision. But when presented with fewer choices, they tended to make a decision that they are happier with. And so a longer menu takes longer, generally less happy, shorter menu, generally happier, less time. So now let's take this, this experiment, this behavioral science experiment done in the 1920s and apply this to the search engine results page. I feel that Google has become kind of like the Cheesecake Factory menu of search. There are so many elements on the Google search results page. I'm not a fan. I honestly prefer the older Google where it was just like three or four things and great results. Now it has so much contextual information. I'm that predator. I'm trying to pick what I'm looking for and I'm and I I'm forced to spend more time to make a, make a result. I'm looking at weather, relationships, images, all of these things. And it can be to, to neurologically kind of overwhelming. And what we're finding is that there are, if you think about simply for one query with Google's current results, there are more chances to be wrong. And even though Google is correct, it might be giving you relevant information with all of these different contextual, uh, and relational uh, results. There are more things to click on that don't serve your serve your needs now let's apply that to site search so at this point what we're looking at is i tend to prefer because the data shows me that a simpler search results page from a ui ux perspective is going to be better one is because you have a tighter result set quality the results on your show up on your page are going to be better are going to be more more closely related. Two, if you do add elements like filters, facets, or something else, they're going to be very recognizable. And I'm going to take a quick aside. There's a thing called uh, the, the time to perception of value. You want people to understand what you're trying to tell them in as less time as possible. If I go to Google, I'm going to be spending about a second to organize in my brain, all of these different elements. But if I go to, let's say, um, I'll just a little plug the award-winning customer portal at red hat, um, our side searches, our, our ethos is about simplicity and speed. We want you to understand what, what we're trying to give you, give you selections, and then, and then put you into content as quickly as possible. So one of the things that we've done from a design perspective is, is we've added this kind of a box that understands that um, if you're looking for a product, let's say one of our one of our products is called Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and we shorten it to REL or RHEL. Now, if a customer is looking for REL in our site search, we don't know if they're looking for troubleshooting or documentation or downloads or vulnerabilities. We just don't know. So, if you added this, this um, interstitial box that says this is what rel is a short description and then links to the top levels of documentation troubleshooting downloads things like that and what we call them is we recognize high volume low intent words so these are keywords that get a lot of traffic but we but we don't it's not narrow enough and so for these kind of high volume low intent words we curate a list of what we we call internally one boxes that becomes a top of filter for these users and they can drill down from there to what they're looking for. And our results set quality is, is, is good. We have different ways to to filter and facet. And so one of the things that we, that I measure myself on against is dwell time. How long is a user spending on the search search results page trying to figure out what they're looking for now? Mm Now let's talk about chatbots and ai and things like that i completely 100 uh believe that uh the 10 blue links they're they're starting to get a little dated you know visually i mean right now for me the 10 blue links they're they're like as dated as boy bands and parachute pants like it's like oh you're from the 90s aren't you so (laughs) i i feel that companies that adopt a a dual strategy of providing a good simple clean uh search engine results i would even like i do a lot of experimentation i would love to start experimenting with a smaller maybe not 10 blue links but five blue links and a more interactive chatbot, chat gpt that incorporates some of the ai so i can really hone down on what are the specific things people are looking for? Um, and I would start looking at when I'm interacting with chatbots and things like that, the kind of, the kind of, um, data that I would be looking for is conversational data. So I would, I would, I wouldn't look at keywords as much as I would look at uh, conversation strings. Um, but overall, I think this is an exciting new way that potentially can connect humans to the information that they're looking for a lot faster. I think that we're going to have to re-examine our analytics. Like how do we measure success? Um, are the, how do we measure conversions? Cause if I'm on e-commerce when they buy a thing or put something in the shopping cart, that's a, that's a good behavior. If I'm a knowledge base, like let's say Wikipedia or documentation, where I don't necessarily want them to buy something, I want them to learn something. How do I measure that? So, yeah. anyway, I feel like I just went on this crazy, weird rant that went all over the place, but I hope that was helpful. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I remember an interesting story uh, uh, of Hyundai. So Hyundai set up AI chatbot on their website. Mm -hmm. And this chatbot sold a car for a a dollar. So a customer asked, please (laughs) sell me for for a dollar. Okay, I need to satisfy your intent. (laughs) Take it. So you need to be accurate with that. (laughs) Yes. Um. Uh, JP, I want to ask about one word you pronounce many times, uh, behavior, Uh, Mm -hmm. and I know it's important to collect data to learn about customers, Uh, how to satisfy their intent and you have this uh, military background and um, uh, when I speak with many different experts for example if I speak with someone who uh, has uh, design background or writing or journalism uh, development all of them have approaches uh, connected to their background. Can you tell how your military background can help you to learn behavior and your methods, how to collect data, to understand customers, any tips about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's I have never been asked that question before. Thank you. (laughs) Um, okay. So to go a little bit back, um, when I was in the military, I was in, um, I did psychological operations, which basically is just think of military marketing. Um, but the, the biggest project that I was involved in was humanitarian demining on the border between Thailand and Cambodia, mm-hmm. which so many landmines left over from the Vietnam war. It's the second most landmine area other than the North North and South Korean border mm-hmm. and hundreds of people die every year and even more get, get maimed from 60 year old landmines. So one of the things that we did was we worked with like Marvel, DC, star Wars to create comic books about Mm -hmm. landmine safety. And then we go distribute them to, uh, villages in Northern Thailand and Southern Cambodia, uh, with the permission and assistance of, of the host governments. So, and the way that we, and let's go back to how we did this. So I organized this by, Kind of task, conditions, standards, results. What are we doing? What is, and then condition, what is the context? How are we doing this thing? What are the ideas that we're testing? Um, when I bring in my scientific background into it, it's like, I, what is my hypothesis? What is the idea that I need to test? So those are my conditions. I list out the conditions. Like um, I look look at geographical conditions. I look at historical conditions and then standards. The standard is what do I consider a a, a quantitative number that, that I can, I would consider to be a success or what number is approaching success because we don't always succeed. So how can I tell if I, if I'm approaching success, how can I tell if I've succeeded and what are the signals I'm looking for that, that signal failure? And then, then the measurement part is on this case, which is a much longer term date, a longer term view is like over year over year, um, with this variable, adding landmine safety comic books to a particular region, to a particular geography, um, by how, how many people on average get hurt by these landmines and is the trend going down. And so. I look at it from a very from a very quantitative kind of standpoint. When it comes to when it comes to dwell time, let, so let's apply this back to site search. When it comes to dwell time, if I see an increase in content accessed, which doesn't mean did they find what they're looking for, it means that they found something valuable enough to click. Um, because did they find what they're looking for, especially in a knowledge context and not an e commerce context? It's really hard. So I can say more people are finding things that they find valuable not to click on, and they're spending less time on the, the search engine result page. So I look at those corollary that corollary information and say we are doing better. Now there are other things like um, overall are more pre- are more pre- people searching. What's my click through rate? and click rates can fluctuate and, but I try to look at active human behaviors as opposed to, because a click is a behavior, uh, a time spent is a behavior. Um, I one of, my, one of my biggest and most spectacular but amazing failures was trying to build a consumption metric. It's so like when they looked at a page, Did they consume that page? Can I predict that they've consumed that page? And over about a year of research and experimentation, we find that there was no strong correlation between how long a person stayed on a page, Uh, the elements that they've interacted with the page to say that we can safely and predictably say that, yes, they found what they were looking for. And in another in another site in another context in another situation but like that could have been different but for a knowledge base uh type context like that was one of my biggest failures and I loved it because like now I can eliminate this as a thing that I need to worry about right this second and part of what I do at work is I actively look for other perspectives other people who have different ideas backgrounds opinions to be like oh JP You should do this instead. You should try this instead. I'm like, fantastic. And and as of yet, it's it's still there's, it's still a struggle.
1: Nice. Yeah. A great job. Yeah. Very creative, you know, to decide this issue. Of course, it's, it's tough to decide everything, but even to minimize the number of cases, yeah, it's, it's a good job. And, um, I want to ask about failing more uh i love this topic because i see when companies uh can get the same mistakes we can't avoid mistakes it's part of the journey i made a lot of mistakes many of them terrible uh some of them slight mistakes i keep doing them (laughs) i don't know another (laughs) way how to avoid mistakes Uh, for example i started pr we paid six thousand dollars for one press release to write and pitch then uh uh, I uh, I got it. I need to write 12 press releases a week. 12. It's like $72,000. So and uh, it, it's a lot. And uh, I decided to write myself. I wrote a bunch of press releases. I pitched all of them, got zero mentions, zero results. Nothing but acquired experience, how to works? Then we explain to our uh, blog offers who usually create evergreen content that we need to consider. Um, Press release format uh, to bring something new about trending topics uh, to uh, share an expert opinions and uh, that journalists are looking for. And uh, uh, after six months, we got results on CNN, Bloomberg, Business Insider, uh, MSN, Yahoo Finance. um, And yeah, it works well. Uh, But I started with complete failure. Yeah, a lot of mistakes uh, uh, I I learned from best practices, generic uh, uh, strategies, but it didn't work without real experience. Um, I want to ask you about failure. Can you list mistakes that companies can avoid? OK, we, we need to do mistakes. We need to learn mm-hmm. from them. But uh, on uh, this search uh, search bar, what kind of mistakes can companies can avoid, but you often see that uh, they still do? Mm-hmm.
0: So, so I, th- I think that's I think the biggest mistake that I see people do in in the in the context of site search is is lack of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I feel that there's a lot of people who just they they treat site search as out of the box problem solved, and then they don't really look at it. They're not curious about, like, what are people doing? Because the way that I see it is like these are humans who are interacting with your website actively, engagedly. And they are telling you what they want. They're telling you what they expect you to have. And they expect it to work. They don't, like, they expect Google-level results. I think that's a little unfair, but like, that's the challenge. Um, so I think a biggest failure is just la- just a complete and total lack of curiosity um, of what humans are doing on their website. Yeah, another, I'll bring up like another tactical failure. It's, it's incomplete metadata, or just like, like, you write this brilliant article this is your brilliant content, like you've cleverly described your product in a way that resonates with your community. And then you fail to mark it up. Um, I think I think that is that is a real failure that people that people do. Um, I know I know brilliant writers who can craft amazing pieces of content. Um, and then the second part is like writing a short description of why this thing exists. And so a con- a piece of content doesn't always live by itself there's metadata there's there are short descriptions there are blurbs there are excerpts there are all of these different parts of the anatomy of a piece of a body of content that can be used in different places um so if you you consider a a body of content or just a, a work of content as done it's ignoring all of the other pieces that make it live and have a long, and have a longer life. Um, another mistake that I see people make is, is only caring about the top keywords, like they say, give me, give me my top 10 keywords. And then there's, there, there, there's a level of like, okay, that's cool. What then it's like, let's take, let's take these top 10 keywords what are the result what what is the click through rate what is the conversion rate for each of these results chances are they're okay okay can we make can we make this better um like th- this might be a candidate for actually curating your your results page with expert knowledge or expert advice uh, another mistake that i see people make is um having is not including or incorporating some level of personalization. I will go back to my experience um, with performance bike. From our research, we knew that women purchased more cycling clothing. And we knew that men purchased more um, accessories, like mm-hmm. uh brake pads and tires and things like that. Um, so based off of these behavioral trends, uh, we would add things like if, if the person signed in and we knew some basic yeah. anonymous information, we would, as you know, a it kind of like you may also like as a part of our search results, um, we would take a look at some of their history. Like, do they, do they, um, Yeah. Like it can get really complicated and really in the weeds, but like we added a, you may also like, as a part of our search results, if they're looking for something like, okay, we, we know some basic information you may also like Um, another really kind of weird, fun, tactical issue is that um, ignoring location Um, people in Santa Monica, California um, search for road bike tires more than they search for mountain bike tires. But for a query of bike tires, you can mean either one. So in Santa Monica, we biased road bike tire results. But let's say in Colorado Springs, where it's very mountainous, uh, mountain biking is huge and amazing and super fun. We biased mountain bike tires. So understanding understanding the context and how it relates to a technical aspect of what you can understand from from your website can influence the results, can influence conversions, and can essentially influence your business uh, overall. So there are lots of little things that um, you can learn. Lots of little mistakes. Only um, another mistake that I that I've seen people do is um, is ignoring ignoring a hierarchical information architecture. Mm-hmm. Because people don't always look for, people are, people arrive in search at different points of the funnel. So I'll use the bikes, the bikes again, um, you know, bikes, mountain bikes, um, Cannondale mountain bikes. So understanding the hierarchy, the hierarchy of user intent and not building pages that support that intent, huge mistake. Because if I'm looking for, Cannondale mountain bikes, I want there to be a page about that particular section. Nice.
1: Yeah, I love your examples. Great examples. Um, Yeah, personalization is key. You need to personalize experience as much as possible. Amazon does, Netflix, all big companies can think about personalization. You Mm -hmm. can find personalized experience on TikTok, Facebook, everywhere. If you ignore user intent, if you ignore their uh, interest, it's it's tough, really tough to get results. And um, I have my final question, but very important question uh, for my audience. Uh, I want to ask about your experience if you start everything from scratch. So basically forget about military experience, forget about search experience. Nothing. You just uh, it's your first day. You want to set up a search bar and the main reason why you want to do it to get more customers on your website you have a big dream to improve experience to get better results but uh, you need to understand the basic how it works and cooperate with great experts like you. For example, a founder of a company wants to find a great uh, search expert who can pr- uh, set up but this founder needs to understand importance, how to do it, uh, best practices, anything like that. And from my personal experience, I usually get great results with customers who understand what I do. So if customers Mm -hmm. understand why we need to create high quality content, why we need to think about sales funnel uh, to uh, bring the most valuable results to the table, we get great results. If Mm -hmm. they don't understand, I don't know how to help them. I usually tell, look at on Google, YouTube, learn. Learn the basic, uh, understand how it works. Then you can cooperate with anybody else. You can hire, you can uh, outsource, you can uh, uh, use contract form. It doesn't matter. Just learn the basic, understand. So I want to ask you, if you started today from scratch without any experience, military experience, nothing. What will you do if you do everything from scratch?
0: Okay. Um, Cool. I have to think about this for just a second. But I think I'm going to start with... um... There are two characteristics that I would absolutely lean into. Um, One would be curiosity. Because everything that I do is teachable from the technology from the the writing from the, the the analysis from the the math that is all teachable. Anybody can do that. I think that's cool. One thing that I have that I really try to bring to the table is I would say a high level of enthusiasm. Like you see me waving my hands around a lot. Like I'm clearly an enthusiastic and excitable person. And I have not yet had all of my coffee today. Um, I, so there's, I need to bring into a level of, of enthusiasm. Like I am going to figure this out. What's the thing that's going to help me figure that thing out. It's, It's a level of curiosity. When I interview, uh, future employees or interns or whoever I'm going to be working with, I want to see a high level of curiosity. I want them to be like, that's weird. I wonder why. And that's why, and that's why I became a scientist, because I'm like, huh, animals do strange things. Why? So that 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 level of curiosity, that level of enthusiasm, and then to follow that up, it's tenacity. It's it's the ability to chase that that's funny feeling all the way down to the end and be and be like, All right. I figured out why it might be disappointing. It might be exciting. Who knows, but like that level of tenacity is what I look for. So that's, that is, those are the three things that I would stand on before I would do anything then I would, and again, like I'm really kind of leaning into the soft, so the soft skills, because all of the technical stuff is learnable. Um, if I can get an AI, if I can get an AI to write code for me, it's learnable. Yeah. We're good, um, and then I would start with really centering the customer first, with a high level of empathy. What 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 is it that I provide, and how are they how how is my customer going to look for that? And this is this is a skill. This is a question that goes that goes from site search to Google search to, all, to SEO to everything. It's it's because it's such a core aspect of it. Um, is a high level of empathy and a, a, a decentering of yourself because I know how search works. And so I'm gonna bring my own biases to this. So if you can talk to other humans, talk to other people and figure out like, how do you look for things? What do you do when you can't find it? And really, really go there. So so I'm talking to this. So if I'm talking to the CEOs, I want you to do site search. That's where I would, that's where I would start. Then the second thing I would do or the third or the fourth. I lost, I lost count of the numbers that I'm on at this point Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is, is after, after the empathy, understand the products. Um, and then if I can, if I can make that connection between the products and the, and the user intent, you know, at least in my head, that's going to start fleshing out how the content needs to be written, how the content needs to be organized, how the markup needs to happen, uh, where these things need to start existing and then understand the behaviors of, um, because for example, uh, from a red hat perspective, people look for very, very specific things. Um, we live and die off of the long tail search. Um, we look for things like, how to deployed product X in a 64 bit Dell bare metal on-prem environment. And we're like, that's a lot. That's a lot of information that needs to be parsed and being able to work with the content teams, being able to work with the technology teams, kind of being that being that interpreter, um, I'd say at, at my core, I, I consider myself to be a force multiplier. I try to make what you're, I try to make what you're already doing better. I don't make things. Yeah, I think that's the core. I'm a force multiplier. Um, site search is a force multiplier. It's not going to get you great traffic, but it's going to make your conversions better. It's not going to go viral, but. You're gonna have happy customers who come back and come back and come back. Yeah. So that's how that's how I would. Nice. Love it, love it. answer Yeah. That.
1: You need to simplify this experience. Love it. Love it. A big pleasure uh, to uh, learn from you. You know, to get all this valuable insights. Tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you.
0: Um. I've gone. I've gone pretty. I've. So I have I have four boys, two dogs, and, and and a great job, and so I have I have trimmed off my my social media quite quite extensively. I am on Mastodon uh, occasionally, but I think the best way to find me is on is on LinkedIn. So I'm I'm easily findable at on LinkedIn as JP Sherman.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I sent you connection request. Um, I'm going to follow you. I need to update skills that I have. I recommend to anyone to follow because you can see a lot of valuable insights. Things are coming fast. We need to adapt to think how to do it better. Uh, thanks a lot. A big pleasure. Love this experience. So valuable. Uh, guys, you can find the link to LinkedIn account in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, I see you next time. Thanks for tuning in
0: to Unmiss. Enjoyed the show? Drop us a review on your favorite platform and help us spread the digital marketing wisdom. See you next episode.